0: Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday and the pet experts are in the building. This is the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio,
1: 1320 WILS. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruce. Good morning, Rick. Good
2: morning, Lee. How are you doing with this uh, fleeting summer? Oh, this, this fleeting
1: warm weather? Uh, I've enjoyed it immensely. I've maybe a little bit too heavy on the rain, but outside yeah, of that, yeah. I've really enjoyed being outdoors and being able to spend time doing a lot of interesting things. but uh, you know, the thing that I enjoy the most is I just want the world to continue to just be normal for everyday life because I miss certain factors of just being able to be A part of everyday life, and I'm sure you guys deal with it at the store every day, because you have to constantly respond to the the feelings of your customers, your employees, your vendors. I mean, you guys, it's a balancing act. It's a tough time to be in business. Yeah, it's it's ever-changing for sure, and, um,
2: you know... Even with uh, COVID coming, you know some of the greater things we don't even think about is just the over- overall economy has changed. Right. Uh, yeah, there's inflation that we work with, but there's also a change in economy of how people get their goods, uh, what people expect, uh, virtual, uh, the the amount of virtual attention people give to our economy is is going up and up. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still have. Uh, to work with one real reality in our business, Uh, you know, people want to see, feel, touch, and be connected to the very animals that we offer on an ongoing basis, to the very, like, idea of, you know, what do I, what would enhance my life? What, how would it be better? And we really feel confident that, uh, you know, going through COVID, it's proven that way. And, and I think post-COVID, uh, that it's really helpful to get back to tactile, experiences, mm-hmm. you know, to really see the real world for what it is. And that kind of brings us to this week's show. Um, uh, you lined up uh, one great guest and talk about tactile experiences
1: Talk about that, Lee. Yeah, we've we've got a guest who hasn't been with us in a couple of years. It's Dr. Bill Van Bon, who is with the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago. He also is a professor with Michigan State University's uh, veterinary school. And he is a very intriguing man because the truth is he's forgotten more than most people will ever learn when it comes to... Uh, fish and aquatic animal care. I mean, it's, it's one of the few times where I actually feel like, wow, I finally have someone who can give Rick Pruce <laughs> a run for his money yeah, when, when <laughs> it comes to knowledge about
2: taking care of fish. Well, we all have our own uh, expertise, and you know, if somebody has a, an aquarium at home and they want to, uh, you know, really excel at doing that hobby. Yeah, I'm your guy, but I'll tell you what—I know nothing about dolphins or whales uh, <laughs> yeah, or how to manage uh, a huge an entire, and sharks yeah, and public aquarium. That—that—that <laughs> that, that is foreboding. And then beyond that, he's a doctor that has spent his entire life, practically, working with. Exotic animals of the wet kind, right? You know, so from uh, he was in the he was out in California for many years, rescuing things like seals and uh, sea lions and, and those type of animals, and then uh, has come to uh, Shedd Aquarium for many years, and has just allowed that institution to have some very. Strong guiding hands when it comes to
1: veterinary science. Yeah, and there's no question about it. And Shedd Aquarium, I gotta say, if I'm at Soldier Field watching a Bears game and they're losing, I'm walking across the parking lot to <laughs> Shedd Aquarium. That is true. <laughs> because, that's where it's located because <laughs> it, I think it's more interesting yeah. than
2: anything I'm seeing on the football field. Yeah, know so. yeah, I. Uh, yeah, you might as well
1: watch the penguins march. You know, <laughs> exactly. that's, that might have more promise. Exactly, but he'll he'll be on with us. For for a couple of segments, and then at the end of the show, we'll we'll deal with the fact that it is a fleeting summer, and it's time to get those ponds and water gardens buttoned up for the cold weather. So we'll talk a little bit about that too. But we've got a great show in store for you. So warm up your coffee, turn up your radio, and let's get rolling this week on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 W I L S. You're listening to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert. Talk Show with Rick Cruz and Lee Cohen on 1320 WILS We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and Rick, we have with us on the line a returning guest. It's Dr. Bill Van Bon, who is the Vice President of Animal Health with Shedd Aquarium in Chicago. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Bill. Well, thank you, Lee. Good morning, Rick. Um, Thanks for having me back. Good morning. Oh, oh, it's our pleasure to have you. Doctor, the last time we had you in, you happened to be in East Lansing because you also uh, do some teaching at michigan state's vet school and we got you into the studio and it was a great conversation but i don't think any of us had any clue what we were going to be in for just a few months later because it was pre-covid when we lived in a different world uh now that we've come through it how is your world today yeah, you're uh, you're you're right about that, Lee. We we live
0: in sort of a hybrid world now. Uh, lots of stuff virtual. We're all getting a lot more familiar with with uh, virtual uh, meeting platforms, Zoom, and things like that. Uh, but I would uh, I would say uh, for us, uh, biology continues on. We we've been very busy. We've got uh, a new baby whale, a new baby dolphin, uh, four you know, baby penguins. Um, our, our research biologists have been active in the field, you know, outdoors where they haven't had to worry too much, and uh, so we've been,
2: we've been cranking along. And, and for those listening in, um, what was it like for the last year and a half? Uh, when did you open back up, and, and how did uh, Shedd Aquarium manage to, I guess, fight through it?
0: Yeah, it's been tough, like for so many other cultural institutions. Um, you know fortunately we have a very very um, fiscally responsive uh, board of directors and and uh, it's a lot of advanced uh, contingency planning um, we did have to close uh, to the public for a couple of several month periods two different periods so it was sort of odd to walk around the building without our guests in the building and visitors um, lots of people, Asked about the animals and whether that had an impact or not, and uh, it's been interesting. We did see, uh, we, we did notice that a lot of them appeared to be wondering uh, the same thing we were where are all the people? <laughs> um, so, um, but our, actually, our, our research team has taken advantage of that, and uh, so we've, this is sort of an unplanned study, if you will, and uh, we're actually doing some objective measurements of uh, welfare. On the animals, uh, with and without people in the building, things like looking at cortisol levels in the water and such. Uh, this is a experiment we didn't plan to do, but we did, and so it's pretty exciting. We're gonna we're gonna actually be able to learn even more about the animals that we we house here.
2: Any any early results on any of this that you uh, care to it, share, or is it? Uh, it
0: um, let's let's well, hold I guess off. the early results. Yeah, the early results are just the subjective um,
2: uh, um, interpretation
0: of the of the staff, who who again. Um, we did not see any evidence of of any problems. Um, we did see animals that uh, seemed to spend a lot more time looking for people
2: okay and i'm I'm just curious uh, that you mentioned no problems. I would imagine that you know in in your recording veterinary care, you know stress is one of those things that uh, kind of is the the you know. People are saying, my fish is sick. Well, Mm. how did it get there? You know, well, oftentimes stress has a lot to do with it. So I would imagine, you know, how many patient uh, increase or decrease, or was it pretty stable as far as uh, uh, the fish? Uh, That's a great way to put it. Yeah, the the numbers
0: uh, were stable. It wasn't like we saw an uptick of any uh, health problems. Um, we, we use a tool. We do a, a regular welfare assessments. Um, there is uh, a concept called the five domains. I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar, but if they're interested in animal welfare, you'll find that. Um, the five domains are uh, things that you want to provide for the animal. So freedom from hunger, freedom from uh, thirst, freedom from... Uh, pain, things like that, right? Yeah. And we have a tool that we use that we go through on a regular basis uh, as part of our health and welfare program to score um, those measures and we did not see any changes in those scores, which was really um, comforting to us. We uh, you know, kind of expected uh, perhaps animals that are used to having a lot of people and then not seeing a lot of people. When people came back, we wondered if that might be some a startle, if you will, right? 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 Part of what we part of what we do in in a quarantine scenario is actually to acclimate the animals to being an aquarium animal, right? So right. get used to people walking by, get used to a person coming and manipulating the system, get used to that. And that sometimes takes a little while., um, and so here we went for a break where that wasn't happening on a regular basis, at least the visitors walking through weren't happening. Um, but we were Pleasantly surprised to see that none of those numbers or measures that we monitor changed really at all. Um, you know, on the contrary, uh, the, if, if we saw anything subjectively, it was animals spending more time, uh, sort of out and about, looking, uh, coming up to. If, if someone did approach the enclosure, coming up and, and you know looking back at you. Through yeah. the glass, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so it's really interesting. And like I said, we we're getting some scientific measures, but it's, it's too early for that.
2: Is that something that coordinated through uh, various uh, aquariums, or is this going to be a specific shed uh, um, uh, study? Yeah, th- this project is,
0: is specific to us. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that other aquaria are doing similar things. It was such a unique opportunity. Um, but this was directed by our conservation research team, and they, like I said, they've been continuing to do things. They, uh, they're out in the Great Lakes looking at uh, migratory uh, suckers, uh, tagging them. Uh, they're uh, tagging and uh, doing population assessments on freshwater mussels in the Chicago River. Um, we have a new partnership with the Illinois Department of Natural Resources uh, looking at the Heinz Emerald Dragonfly restoration. Uh, this is a endangered a state illinois species of endangered dragonfly and <clears throat> the numbers are very low and they have a very unique relationship with a crayfish the devil crayfish which is uh, indigenous and native uh, so the crayfish dig a burrow uh, the dragonfly lay their eggs in the burrow and the larvae hatch out and um, that's where they develop and so we're actually uh, caring for some uh, crayfish for them to try to help uh, with their reintroduction Um, efforts and so all that sort of stuff has continued on without any interruption throughout this whole pandemic
1: now dr bill when it comes to the everyday caring for the animals part of what you have to do is have them ready to be observed by the public but when the public wasn't coming in how did that change the routine for the animals i mean did they get to sleep in uh did they they get to do other things i mean how how did that affect them in terms of what do i do with myself every day
0: Right. And that's that's what we're talking about. It was sort of this uh, unexpected experiment to not have a part of their their day be hosting a whole bunch of uh, of visitors, right? And and they they still have uh, a regular schedule, a regular routine. Our entire animal care and uh, animal health staff uh, was continuing to work in the building um, every, every day. So many, many people were working from home during this time, and we all got experience working on Zoom and things, as I mentioned. Uh, not so for our uh, husbandry staff, our um, aquarists, uh, who are primarily responsible for the care and feeding of the animals, right? They're the ones that are um, cleaning up after them, that are um, feeding them, that are taking care of the systems that understand you know, what animals mix with which animals. Uh, they were here uh, and going through their regular routine uh, uninterrupted. So, so from that perspective, you know, nothing had changed. Uh, likewise, the veterinary staff. We were in the building um, every day. We did split into teams so that uh, we didn't overlap in case uh, we had anybody get exposed uh, to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And you know, with exposure tracking, then if one person. Uh, is positive and anybody in contact was going to have to quarantine it. So we took care to divide our teams up so that uh, that would not happen and that we had continuous care coverage throughout the whole
2: process. So I want to go back just a little bit, and uh, I think there's some maybe clarification. Uh, when the people or talk about going to Shedd Aquarium, think about public aquariums and their role they play in society they don't think about saving dragonflies and right. I'm just wondering does that does that come from a um, this is our mission and therefore we allocate resources and labors in this direction versus what one might assume um, your mission would be is does that is yeah. that where it's coming from is that hey you know what Uh, Yes, part of entertaining the public is having animals on view, but there's more to a public aquarium than this. What is the mission?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right, Rick. The um, the mission of the aquarium is to spark curiosity, uh, compassion, and conservation for the aquatic animal world. (laughs) And that's pretty broad, but um, that's done through, uh, of course, not only allowing our visitor to look nature in the eye to get close up and to see those animals that they can't see easily in their native habitats Um, but all so many of these things that are happening beside behind the scenes that do surprise a lot of people Uh, you know it surprises people to learn that we have a a, a referral medical center in the building right I've got a, a veterinary practice right here in the building I have a hospital and three supporting laboratories Uh, right in the building, even uh, a lot of veterinary practices for companion animal medicine, um, they use reference laboratories or outside laboratories. So they take a blood sample from their patient. They have to send it to a lab. Um, You know, that means filling out a form, collecting a sample, putting it in a bag with a little bit of cold pack on the cooler on the back door. And, you know, later in the day, a little car drives up and picks it up, and then it stops and makes three or four other similar stops, and then they get to the lab. And the, the the challenge with that is that uh, there are a lot of steps for error to be made, and uh, a lot of time involved. And so here at the aquarium, with those facilities right on site, uh, we own any of those errors. It's on us, right? We have a lot more quality control right. oversight, right? Um, and the time is is shortened. So even before I've got final uh, results, I will have preliminary results a lot of times. So that's incredibly valuable. For the animals' care of animals that live here, um, the other part is all the work, as you mentioned, that we do that supports the care of the animals in their native habitats. So we do have an entire conservation science uh, research team that is doing what we call in situ work, right? So where the animals are normally found in place, and and I mentioned a couple of those projects, you know, the mussels and the and the um, this, the uh, suckers, uh, but we work um, all over the place. We work with uh, iguanas in the in the uh, Bahamas, uh, sharks, um, conch and lobster, <laughs> so many of these aquatic animals that are um, under threat, you know they're 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 having trouble. and um, uh, we we do all kinds of things behind the scenes that people are kind of continuously surprised to learn about. I guess the analogy would be a, an art museum, right? When you buy a ticket to go to the art museum and you appreciate the works that are on display, uh, what you're really supporting is what's happening behind the walls, the whole, you know the curatorial staff that is uh, caring for those precious uh, resources, understanding what they mean culturally, helping us to uh, advance uh, our understanding of, of human culture through the art form, right? Uh, here at the aquarium we're understanding the aquatic world understanding aquatic biology and aquatic animals how to better take care of them wherever they live whether they're here or there or anywhere
1: well it's not just taking care of them it sounds like during the last year and a half you've been birthing them because you went through a whole list of uh, new animals that are there Uh, dr with we've only got about a minute before we need to take a break but how does one go about birthing a new whale penguins <laughs> all of these other things inside an aquarium yeah those are good questions Well as
0: i, I mentioned earlier too you know biology doesn't stop um it, it keeps going on and um uh, fortunately for us, in the vast majority of cases, we really don't have to do anything except be available. Um, <laughs> and that was the case. That was the case with you know our baby whale, um, the baby dolphin I mentioned, um, the, the penguins that hatched out. Uh, I think the the most sort of work we did, if you will, was uh, help one of the little penguin chicks get out of the egg. It got a little tired trying to get out. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, um, you know, Mother Nature knows what she's doing, uh, and, and we've got a lot to learn um uh, 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 from them about you know what what it takes and um and I'm happy to say yeah the all the births we've had, and I didn't mention, I don't know, 600-something-plus seahorse babies, right, <laughs> that happen overnight sometimes, yeah. um, the vast majority of the time, uh, they do not require any external assistance or, or help at all. They, they know what they're doing.
1: Well, a lot of modesty coming from Dr. Bill Van Bon, who is our guest this morning, who's the vice president of Animal Health with Shedd Aquarium. And Dr. Bill, we need to take a quick break, but after the break, we'll come back and talk Talk about uh, what are the plans for going forward for Shed Aquarium and for you right here on 1320 WILS. Now, sporting their new Chewy Toys, Rick Preuse and Lee Cohen. You're listening to the MidMichigan
0: Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS.
1: It's 9:35 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we're talking this morning with Dr. Bill Van Bon, who is the Vice President of Animal Health with Shedd Aquarium. And Dr. Bill, we've heard about what's going on in the past time since we spoke with you, but going forward, what's going on with Shedd Aquarium? What are the big upcoming events, plans, animals, uh, what's happening there? Sure.
0: Well, we're we're um, we're delighted to, to be able to be uh, back open again and, and welcoming guests. Uh, people can come and visit. We've made a couple of adjustments to enable that to be done safely. You know, I think all the tickets are timed entry sort of thing like that. So there's a, a lot of opportunity to come by. As I mentioned, we're business as usual with respect to the health care and field work that we're doing. That didn't get interrupted at all. We just received our annual cohort of Blanding's hatchlings. This is a little pond turtle that's uh, native to Illinois. And we participate in a Head Start program for them. So we rear them uh, here and take care of them until they're self-sufficient and able to fend for themselves. And, and then we let that group go. Um, so we just got uh, 30 new little baby turtles in in a second uh, <laughs> or uh, this year. Yep. And, um, and you know, yeah, so it's it's uh, from, from the aspect of uh the practice the animal care the veterinary medicine it's it's business as usual
2: now one thing that um i'm just curious you've been doing this at the helm at either this aquarium or others for many many years how has it changed as far as how you look at husbandry on on these fish and what innovations have changed the way in which you interact with these animals
0: gosh what a great question rick i wish we had a lot more time um we are advancing continuously, and, and a lot of it has to do with understanding what the animals are capable of. Um, you mentioned that I've had experience in other facilities and all, and I can remember years ago uh, when I first started working with marine mammals, the conventional wisdom was don't handle babies. They don't tolerate it very well at all. In fact, they can collapse, and, and, and can, it can be serious. You know, We don't touch them until they're three years old, and, and that seemed very odd to me. Uh, but it's a, it's a a reflection of their very unusual physiology and the way that they're wired. These animals are wired very differently than terrestrial animals. Now, their fight-or-flight response, if you will, if they get frightened, is completely different than a terrestrial animal. So if you handle them like a terrestrial animal, they they can get into trouble. And we've learned that. And so now the, the, the actual conventionalism is get them used to being handled as soon as possible. They're totally capable of it. And if you can... Uh, remove that anxiety of the animal and make it a part of their normal routine of being an aquarium animal they, then, uh, and then they're very tolerant of it. so so little things like that we continue to learn every day that has um, improved, I think the the way that we can take care of them.
2: Um, you, you just got to I mean, learn why we you got learn how to swim like a dolphin.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's still a, a, a large group of folks uh, hoping we can figure out how to
2: talk like one too. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Limpet was uh, probably yeah, your, right. your hero. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, yeah, that, that's a classic. Uh, yeah, yeah, Don Knotts, he was, he was
2: uh, that was an incredible role. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he had all the answers. We just weren't listening.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, I think we still got to listen, right? But there you we, go. There you go. You know, people think we we know a lot, and we do, but there is so much more mm-hmm. to uh, learn from the animals, and the and the privilege of being able to work with them closely uh, over long periods of time.
2: And I would think that the main focus there that that you're getting at is that by Going against the trend and figuring out how you can interact with them from very early age, you're going to make the life that this creature has within the aquarium just a much better existence. Right,
0: yeah, I mean, it's um, we we' we're, we're, um, what we see uh, bears that out, right? The animals thrive, and we, we are taking care of animals that um, have, are are living to o- older ages than we've ever seen them. I mean, most of uh, I think uh, Chicago certainly familiar with Wellington, uh, and I think most of the country, if not beyond, uh, you know Wellington is one of our little rockhopper penguins, and he became. Viral at the early part of the pandemic because he got out and wandered around when there were no guests here. So <laughs> that's another way we entertained the we entertained some of the animals that couldn't leave their enclosures was take animals that could and wander around and visit. So you know, Wellington and friends uh, uh, wandered the entire aquarium and they they went over and wandered at Field Museum and our our partners here in the museums in the park and um, uh, those uh, those animals are are are. Um, way older than you would expect to find in uh, wild penguin colonies, um, and largely because they they are cared for and don't have to worry about any of those threats there are out there in the, in the real world.
1: Now, when it comes to a visit, we don't have a lot of time left, Doctor, but if someone is planning on coming to visit this fall, what is the absolutely don't miss it if you come to Shedd Aquarium? Well, um,
0: gosh, I'm hopeful that uh, lots of folks are return visitors So, because I would say don't miss anything. Uh, we have a lot of people who, <laughs> um, who, over, who overlook our wild reef exhibit, which is actually below grade level. It's downstairs. You have to take an elevator down. That's where our large sharks are, the big sharks, and we've got um, uh, large sharks and rays there, and a lot of people sort of miss it because you've got to take an elevator to go down to it. So um, the entire place for sure. Uh, wild reef often overlooked Um, our special exhibit underwater beauty um, is going to be coming to uh, a close here in the not you know not too distant future and so um, uh, even if you're a repeat visitor you may want to come and see that exhibit if you haven't
2: what is that one
0: well that one is um uh, highlights the incredible diversity of beauty in the underwater world so uh lots of different uh colors, sh- um and and uh shimmer and motion and uh so it's not focused on one type of animal as many special exhibits tend to be, right? You see oh right. uh, these are seahorse or uh, these are uh sea stars or these are we had one was lizards, right? Um, that's been the sort of standard. This, we took a little bit different approach, and this is just to reflect the diversity of the underwater world and the beauty that's there and how you can experience it up close.
1: Well, Dr. Bill, it's been a pleasure to have you back on the show. We would like to talk with you again when things are a little bit further along and just keep up with what's going on because when it comes to aquariums, there's a lot of them, but very few have the reputation of Shedd Aquarium and we're grateful to hear from you because you have a very important position there. So thank you very much for being on the show with us today. Well,
0: I appreciate that, uh, Lee and uh, Rick both,
1: and uh, I'm at your service. Let's do this again. Well, we appreciate it. Uh, We've been talking this morning with Dr. Bill Van Bon, who is the vice president of Animal Health at Shedd Aquarium, and Rick. After the break, we're going to continue the conversation on how to care for some aquatic things uh, right here on thirteen twenty W I L S. Hey, got some ideas for a show? Questions? Maybe suggestions? Just email
0: us mmpets at thirteen twenty W I L S dot com. Now back to two guys who are rendered useless if you scratch their belly. You're listening to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show with Rick Cruz and Lee Cohen on 1320 W-I-L-S.
1: We're back here with the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and Rick, it's always a great conversation when we get the chance to talk with Dr. Bill about shed Aquarium, but the truth is when it comes to caring for your animals, uh, it's something that a lot of people also have to do, whether they've got tanks inside or they've got ponds and water gardens outside. Now, the tanks inside I don't think are as much of an issue, but as it starts to get dark sooner and sooner each day. I got to say, those ponds and water gardens, especially if they've got aquatic animals in them, they're going to need some attention. I'm not going to say fast, but relatively sure. quickly. So let's talk a little bit about that because I got to guarantee people that at Proust, you guys have been helping in the last few years, more and more people get involved with having animals outdoor in their pond and water gardens. So what do people need to do to get them ready for winter and have their animals continue to thrive indoors? Or outdoors. Well, outdoors and indoors. Because the ones from outdoors are coming indoors. Not always. Not always. That's true.
2: Right, right, right. So uh, I guess first – There's a couple of things to think about is the dynamics of your specific pond and whether or not your water garden and whether or not it's capable of keeping the animals you've chosen uh, throughout the winter. Um, So that's usually possible if your pond is three feet deep. Uh, you can get away with a certain fish, like goldfish tend to be a bit more tolerant than koi. Uh, maybe a little shallower, but it's not advised. Uh, but So if you're in the designing stage, uh, three feet tends to be the magic number. And, and um, there's a few extra... Parts to it than that, but let me emphasize because people don't necessarily think about it. But in the winter, the warmest place in your pond is going to be at its deepest point because Mother Nature, uh, you know, just like getting past the frost line, right? When you're building a building and you want a foundation, it's got to go down deep enough so there isn't that shift and change, and that's the equivalent of a pond, you need to get down low enough in profile that the temperature is stable and warmer than the water that's above it. So that's the first thing to be concerned about. And then the next issue is that even if you have a pond that is just you know deep enough, have you done what's necessary to keep them alive? And what I emphasize is that we're not necessarily reproducing nature in its exact the wetlands and marshes and uh, dirt soils around the perimeter in a, in a natural system uh, with new water coming through it throughout the year is a different arrangement than what we said in our backyard. When we take and put a pond liner, mm-hmm. a rubber uh, Liner. I'd like to think in visualizing this issue, think of it as a gasket, if you will. Mm-hmm. Same as gasket material, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have rubber liner all the way around your pond, that's not a bad thing, except for when winter comes and ice forms over your pond, it forms a very exact lid Right? It seals it up, just like the... Tupperware. Well, Tupperware. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking when I was a kid, my mom did a lot of canning and that metal little loop coming down and, and clicking right. in and right. uh, putting wax on top and right. you know all of that stuff was like sealing everything in. Well, that's exactly what the ice is going to do to the rubber liner all the way from side to side. And what's interesting is uh, I had a customer come in that had taken a pipe and allowed that to freeze vertically. Um, I think it was like a half-inch pipe or something like that, uh, freeze vertically where it was down in the water and sticking up out of the water. And basically, was able to light that and see a, an actual flame that was coming up from it. Wow. And it has to do with the fact that when you seal things up, things can't naturally g- uh, degas, if you will. So lots of debris and organics, even in the cleanest of ponds, are going to be growing and in functioning and breaking things down, right? Uh, the bacteria's in there and some cold water bacteria, they're gonna work a lot slower, but they're still working. Right. And so things like um, you know, methane gas, even hydrogen sulfide and other gases that can be toxic to the fish creatures, it will accumulate in the water and kill the fish. So not to be scaring anybody, but the reality is it's a simple solution, right? So simply throwing an air stone or shooting water up or having a heat ring are all steps that are oftentimes taken to solve that problem. Right. I tend to be the, in the favor of one method may work, but I usually use a blend of two. And uh, the reason I do that, uh, typically what I'll recommend for people to do would be a simple heat ring. Something that is relatively low in wattage, right um,
1: kind of like yeah. you use to keep your dog's water from freezing outside,
2: yeah, yeah, something like that, right? right. Uh, so and that the one I sell the most of for at least smaller ponds would be like a disc with a hole in the middle, and that hole stays open. Mm-hmm. Another one I sell is a bit stronger in wattage has a little bit better signaling that hey I'm working and it just is a disk and then it, then it melts around the perimeter but I usually do that and then right there I'll, I'll typically drop a, a airline and I'll drop that airline with hooked to an air pump on shore uh, that's blowing air bubbles up and I'll bring that maybe halfway down the pond depth mm-hmm. and the two working together it's almost like uh, if you had a shed and you wanted to, um, heat it, you'd have the, the tailpipe, you'd have the pipe coming up the roof, but you'd also have, you know, basically air. An air. Exhaust. You, you would have an exhaust pushing it through. Right. And uh, so that's kind of the one-two punch. And what's interesting is that too often these things have a, a lifespan, right? So one's going to break down at some point in time. So it's and a e- backup plan. Either one of those two is, is going to be a, an acceptable choice. Now, the fish that can tolerate that, your list tends to be like two, uh, goldfish and koi. Right. Some might have a larger pond with liner that have you know, bass, bluegill, native fish, um, and that too would be the same criteria, the same concerns. They're going to be vulnerable to the same. Right. Now, if you start in your pond or you have animals in your pond that can't tolerate the winter at all, or if your pond is shallow... Then we have another, uh way to go another direction to take and go ahead
1: well before we get there let me ask the simplest question that I think most people would think about which is in the fall we've got a ton of leaves dropping from the trees and they're going to drop and they're going to blow into your pond and water garden how fastidious do I need to be in terms of getting to that is that an every week where I've got to be in there pretty much raking the pond or is it something that i can wait do once and just be done with so uh good point you know when we talked
2: about that you know hazards play underwater Mm -hmm. if it isn't open the more hazards play you have whether you open it or not the more potential trouble you have so the more leaves that you have in your pond the more organics the more you just ignore it for years after years you know Uh, It's not broke, don't fix it. It tends to come back and kind of snap you in the head. Um, So if you can keep your pond relatively clean, that's helpful. And one thing you can do for leaves, because that's probably single-handedly, other than what your fish produce, that's single-handedly the largest amount of debris that's going to fall in there that could possibly cause plenty of trouble. Um, What what you want to do is first get a a net, um, a, a mesh net. We have them in all sizes that's going to spread across the whole pond mm-hmm. uh, we have them up to like 30 by 30 foot um maybe bigger and you just pull those taut across the top of it when you're before your leaves are to fall and that makes a huge difference Another uh, another thing you can be doing is um in the fall in the spring we'll talk oftentimes have somebody like uh, every few years drain and clean the pond out in a more ambitious way. But in the fall, it wouldn't be a bad idea. We have a uh, vacuum mm-hmm. that's designed for pond cleaning. That's what I was thinking. And it can really work to – you can actually – don't have to buy the whole vacuum, although we sell them. Um, what you're basically going to do is uh, use that to clean the debris and stuff in between the rocks and structure
1: and, and even getting leaves and such out. So – Kind of like you would do with a swimming pool, except for yep. you need to do it with the pond because, again, you're creating obstacles for things to get caught up on and for yep. blockage and what have you.
2: So keeping a clean pond is really important and sometimes missed. So even in the installation and construction of ponds, we, we tend to go a little bit more overboard uh, than what one might normally put a pond together because we found so much dividend in in keeping a cleaner pond. So uh, if anybody has a pond and they just want some advice and suggestions on how they can keep their pond better maintained, I'm there, you know, seemingly like 80 hours a week. So feel free to stop in and just throw it at us. But we have plenty of staff members as well. But if you'd like, uh, if you're ever thinking about pond design or, or redesigning your pond in such a way that it's cleanable.
1: You oftentimes don't have to buy new equipment, but you might need to do some add-on equipment. Right. Now, let's talk a little bit about temperature because that's the other key ingredient to this whole thing because the truth is we're starting to see in the evenings, it's still in the 50s and it's still going up into the 70s and 80s at this point, but that is going to start to drop. And where is the panic point where I got to get these fish that maybe I've got some some freshwater fish that I put out there for the summer, but I've got to get them moved into a warmer right. temperature. Where is that that kind of depends bending on the t- and breaking point?
2: depends on the type of fish. So if you've put some fish outside that are actually tropical, or they aren't goldfish and koi, right. and they're not native, then chances are they should be coming in by now, okay? I usually say by Labor Day. So if they're still alive and they're doing well in there, get them out now. Okay. Um, If you have goldfish and koi to bring in, I think uh, in in what short period of time we have, I just want to mention how important it is they don't have to be in until the ice starts covering, right? That's probably more more accurate. Uh, well, if it's shallow enough, maybe before the pond starts getting into the uh, low fifties, uh, definitely into the forties. If it's diving in there, you want to get them indoors. So now's the time to actually plan to. Uh, set up a tank and get it biologically established. You don't want to just set up a brand new tank and bring on a lot of fish life with a lot of waste load uh, in right away. So now's a good time to come in. And if you find yourself in a pickle where you actually need to bring fish in right away and you haven't planned out, come in and talk to us because we can get some established biological filters in your tank for very inexpensive that'll actually set up the tank indoors quickly. So if you haven't actually done fish indoors, and you're bringing fish inside, uh, I strongly recommend. I don't have enough time right now because we're running out of time. Uh, but come in and talk to us, and we'll share you know, how you do that successfully so that you're not looking at any problems as you go
1: through the winter with your goldfish, your koi, or whatever fish you choose to bring in. Right. Well, taking care of your animals is an important part of having them. And if you've got questions, uh, I guarantee Rick Bruce is usually always there to answer them. So, uh, but in the meantime, you're right. We are out of time. So on behalf of our producer, Bruce, and Rick Bruce, my co-host in the studio, this is Lee Cohen wishing all of you a great weekend and a great weekend. We'll talk next weekend on the Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show meantime will you all please please take good care of your pets and take good care of yourselves have a great week like us on Facebook go to facebook.com forward slash mm pets upload your pets picture
0: or check out the silly pet photos that we put up there to get you through your day